The last several weeks, we've been talking about the gospel. What's the gospel? What's the good news that's at the heart of the Bible? And this is the news you must believe. Everyone on this planet must believe in order to be saved. And the way we've talked through it is by giving a framework of four words to help you as you think through what the gospel is and as you share it with others to help you be able to find your way. We've talked about these words being signposts for sharing the gospel. God, man, Christ, response. So two weeks ago, we talked about God. We talked about how he's glorious. There's no one like God. He is self-existent. He made all things. He's where all life and joy and goodness come from. And we're accountable to him because he made us. He's our judge. And that's where the bad news comes in because we talk about man, mankind. And last week, we saw that we've sinned, we've disobeyed God, we have not loved him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and so we're separated. We are cut off from that God who is life and joy and goodness. We can't have him. And now we're his enemies, and someday we will face his wrath, his judgment. That's the bad news. Sin. That's the bad news, and God's judgment towards it, and Christ is the answer. That's the third word, God, man, Christ. Jesus pays that debt, the debt of our sin, by dying so that we can be reconciled to God and so that we can live with him forever in glory. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what we're going to see. This is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. That's our text tonight. If you've got a Bible, it will help because you'll be able to look at it all at one time. You can only see parts of it on the screen behind me. But if you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And before we read it, let's pray. Father, Thank you that there is good news. And from first to last, it's you who brings it, not us. You bring it in the person of your son. And even tonight, if anything good is going to happen in our souls, it will be because of what Christ has done on our behalf when he died on the cross and rose again. So please, through him, Oh, Lord, would you work among us tonight through the preaching of your word? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. We're going to look at this in a bit of a different way than just by walking through the text one verse at a time. If you look in verse 1, you'll see that word justified. Therefore, since we have been justified, it's a verb. The way we're going to go through this text is we are going to talk about that word, justified. It's a really important word. If you don't know what that word is, you should learn it. This is important for understanding the Bible, the word justified. So the way we're going to work through this text is we're going to ask four questions about that word, justified. And this is what they are. This will be our outline. What does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be justified? Two, how does Jesus do it? Three, what does Jesus bring to us through it? We're going to see this later. Justification, being justified, it's like a doorway through which all of God's blessings for his people come. So that's the third question. What does Jesus bring to us through it? And what does it tell us about God? That's the last question we're going to ask. So what does it mean to be justified? How does Jesus do it? What does Jesus bring to us through it? And what does it tell us about God? We're going to see the answers to these questions in the text, in these 11 verses. So what does it mean to be justified? That word, justified, it means that you have been declared by a judge to be righteous. So if you're on trial, you're standing before God, and this is what's at stake in the trial. Are you a lawbreaker or are you a law keeper? So the judge is going to hear all the evidence. And at the end, if you're a lawbreaker, he's going to declare guilty. And if at the end of the trial, you're a law keeper, God is going to say righteous. When he says that to a person, that's what it means to be justified. It's a judge declaring that you're righteous. And this text says we have been justified, declared righteous as Christians. So if you're a Christian, it means in part that God has looked at your life and he has made this verdict righteous. And the crucial question is this. When God looks at you and he makes the judgment righteous, is it your righteous living that he is declaring to be righteous? No. This is absolutely essential. This is absolutely essential. If you want to understand Jesus, if you want to understand the Bible, Christianity, the gospel, this is absolutely essential. 
God is not looking at you if you're a Christian and declaring righteous because you've lived a righteous life. The opposite is true. The exact opposite. Look at the text. Look at what it says. Verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So it's saying Jesus died for you and me as ungodly people. Verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you are an ungodly sinner when Jesus dies for you. Let's just confirm this with one more verse. If you've got your Bible, you can see. It's just the chapter before, Romans 4, verse 5. This is what Paul says. To the one who does not work, but believes in him, God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So who does God justify? The ungodly. What kind of person does God justify? An ungodly person. Those are the only kinds of people he justifies. The only people that God looks at their life and says, righteous, are ungodly people. This is a big deal. This is a big deal for your life. When God justifies, when he declares his judgment over our life, righteous. He is not counting our righteous living to us. He's counting someone else's righteous living to us. Listen, listen to how Peter says this. You can turn there if you want. It's just the first verse of 2 Peter. This is how Peter speaks in the same way that Paul is speaking. He says this, first verse, 2 Peter 1.1. He says, I'm writing to everyone in the church who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian, your standing before God is based on the righteousness, as Peter says, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To be declared righteous by God is because Jesus' righteousness is being declared over your life as a judgment. That's what it means to be justified in the Bible. It does not mean that your righteous life is being counted to you. At the end, the judge says, you know what? You did a good job. Righteous. The opposite is true. He's looking at ungodly people and he's counting the righteousness of Jesus for you what it means to be justified. So how does it work? It's our second question. How does Jesus do it? And here's, here's the problem. Let's make it a problem. It is a problem. If the only people that God is looking at and saying righteous to are ungodly people, doesn't that mean God is unjust as a judge? You think about, if, if you watched a judge and you're sitting in the courtroom and defendant after defendant comes in, murderer, clearly a murderer, 
righteous. Thief, clearly a thief. The judge says, righteous. Liar, righteous. Adulterer, righteous. He wouldn't be a very good judge. You wouldn't trust him with much, would you? That kind of person, you'd say, this is, this is bizarre. This is backwards. That's evil for the judge to look at someone who's so wicked and say, righteous. That's a problem because God is just. But God, through Christ, works in such a way that he's able to declare righteous to ungodly sinners and still be just and righteous himself. And here's what we're going to see. Jesus does it through his death. So, so ungodly sinners are able to receive God's verdict of righteous through the death of Jesus. Look at verses 6 through 9. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved. So justified, how? By his blood. That's what the text is telling us. Now in the Old Testament, if you sinned, God commanded the people of Israel, offer up a bull, a goat, a ram, you spill its blood and you burn it as a sacrifice to God. And what you were saying was, I've sinned, and now this bull or this goat, its blood's going to be spilled as a replacement for my own blood. This animal is going to die as a replacement for my own death. That's what the sacrifices were for. However, bulls and goats and sheep couldn't pay for a single sin. The reason that God required them of the people of Israel is so they would have categories for understanding the one who could take away sin. And that's Jesus Christ. Listen, listen to Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. So this is 700 years before Jesus came, and Isaiah tells us what Jesus is going to do as a sacrifice, as a replacement for sinners. Listen to this, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So our sin on him punished. He bore our sin. That's what Isaiah 53 is saying. He bore it on himself, and he was crushed for it. His blood was spilled for our iniquities, our sin. 
This is called the great exchange. Our sin is given to him, and he never sinned. And he's punished for it. And his righteous life is counted to us. That's the great substitution that's at the heart of the Bible, the heart of the gospel. Kids, I know that you sometimes get the paper where you can write a word in. Substitution would be a good word to write in there if your parents need to help you spell it. Substitution is a good word because it's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. God's justice this way is met. God's not just passing over the crimes that we've committed. They're paid for. They're paid for in a way that you could not pay. God, the Son himself, is paying for them. And his righteous life is given to us. That way God is just and he's able then to pour out all of his infinite grace on the ungodly. That's how justification works. This is the ABCs of Christianity. I know it might feel like, I'm talking about words like justification. This seems so complicated. This is not advanced mathematics for Christianity. This is the doorway into Christianity. This is the doorway into the house of God's family, knowing that someone was substituted for me, took the punishment of my sins, and his righteous life is counted to mine. This is crucial. We, we talk about the gospel in these four words, God, man, Christ, response. But if you just want to narrow it down to one word, substitution would be a good one. If the gospel is the heart of the Bible, substitution is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus takes what we deserve and we are given what he deserves. So there are two other verses just to confirm this from the New Testament. They say the same thing. Listen carefully. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul says this. For our sake, God made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Please hear me. If you think that your righteousness is what gets you any standing before God, your lived life is why you're going to get into heaven someday, you don't know this God. You don't know the heart of Christianity. You must know that someone died in your place and lived his life perfectly in your place so that your sin could be counted to him and his life could be counted to you. That's the heart of the gospel. That's how Jesus has done it. We should just note, by the way, before we move on, that Jesus isn't dead anymore. You can see that in verse 10. He's been raised to life. We've been reconciled to God through his death, but now he's alive and will be saved through his life. So, so what does Jesus bring to us through it? You, you might be saying, all right, God declares me righteous 
through the righteous life of Jesus, so what? And what, is, what does that do? This is where justification, the work of Jesus getting you declared righteous is really sweet because this is the doorway. Justification is the doorway into all the grace that we have and ever will have. So here's what our passage tells us that Jesus gets for us through justification. I'm going to list six things. You don't need to write them down. If that makes you panic, don't worry about it. We'll go through them quickly. Here's the first one. Through justification, Jesus brings us peace and reconciliation with God. Look at verse 1. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 10 and 11. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Remember last week we said, God's awesome. He's great. He's glorious. He's where life is, but we're cut off. We can't have him. And not only that, we're his enemies. But when Jesus gets you declared righteous by his righteous life, you have peace with God. You're not his enemy anymore. He's your father. You're not a stranger anymore. You're his friend. If that's true of you, you are the most blessed in all of creation. And Jesus did it. Through justification, Jesus has also given us access to God's help. Look at verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So that means you can come before God. Access means you can enter in. You can come to God with your praise, and he'll hear you. He'll hear you. You can come to God with prayer, asking him for help, and he'll hear you. Through justification, when God says righteous, through the righteousness of Jesus, Jesus gives you the key to God's throne room, and you can go in whenever you want. You guys know the story of Esther in the Old Testament? She's the, she's the queen, but if she wants to go in to see the Persian king, and he doesn't welcome her, she dies. And if Jesus Christ has gotten you declared righteous, you can enter into God, God's throne room, anytime you want. And you're welcomed. Jesus has gotten us that access. Through justification, Jesus gives us the Spirit of God so that we can know the love of God. Look, look at verse 5, just the end of verse 5. It says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So only someone who God has said righteous is fit to receive the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, when the temple was built, it had to be cleansed, cleaned out. Sacrifices had to be made before the Spirit of God would enter into it. 
And before you've been declared righteous by the righteous, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, you are not clean, fit for God's Spirit to dwell in you. But Jesus has done it. And when God justifies you, you are fit to receive the Spirit of God. And if you look at this text, what the Spirit's doing is the Spirit is letting us know God's love towards us. When you're dead in your sins, you cannot know the greatness of God's love. But when Jesus dies for you and you're justified, you can know. And that's a gift that Jesus got to you, for you through the Spirit. Through justification, Jesus saves us from God's wrath, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, since we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So it's saying, listen, when you are far off from God, if God would give his son for you to reconcile you to him, while you're an enemy... Now that you're his friend in his family, will God let his wrath fall on you? No. There is none left. Through justification, Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. And more than that, Jesus brings us through justification to glory. Verse 2, again. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What he's saying there is that someday, if you really know Jesus, if you've been justified apart from your works, but through his life, you're going to be transformed. You will. To share the glory of Jesus, you won't be like you are right now. Right now, you are weak, sick, Dying, all of us are dying. But someday you will share the same immortal glory that Jesus Christ has. And he got it for you by living a perfect life and dying in your place if you're justified in him. Just know, in 30,000 years, when you're happier than you've ever been, filled with the glory of God, will you be able to say to yourself, my righteousness got me this? No. Every ounce will be a gift. Here's the last one. Through justification, Jesus brings us joy. I didn't make this up. I actually think this is the point of this passage. Paul points out again and again how this makes us happy, how it brings us joy. Look at verses 1 and 2. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So you don't have the glory of God yet, but you can be happy that it's coming because Jesus has made sure it will be yours. Joy now because you're justified through Jesus and heaven is coming. And not only that, you can rejoice when you suffer now. Look at verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So he's saying you can rejoice when you suffer because if righteous has been declared over your life through Jesus, then all suffering, get this, all of it, is making you into the kind of person who will not be ashamed when Jesus comes back. Jesus bought that for you when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. He bought it for you. And you can rejoice knowing that suffering serves you now. Even the suffering that makes zero sense to you, it's serving you because Jesus bought it. Look at verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Because you're justified, we've been reconciled. Because you've been justified, you have God. And if Jesus has given you God, he's given you the source of all joy. So you can rejoice because Jesus got it for you. Lastly, what does this tell us about God? There's a wrong view of the gospel that views God as quick to anger and he just cannot wait to crush us. But Jesus is able to convince his reluctant father to forgive us because he dies for us. That's a wrong view of the gospel. And this, this text makes that crystal clear. Look at what it says. Verses 6 through 8. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does not wait to love you. He loves you while you're ungodly. He loves you enough to send his most beloved, his most prized, precious possession, his son, to be cut off for you in love. There isn't a greater love than this, that he would send his precious son to die in the place of ungodly people like us so that we might be declared righteous. The gospel is not pitting Jesus' heart against the Father's. They work in unison. And this is the demonstration of the greatness of God's heart. It's the greatest heart in the whole universe that God is gracious to ungodly people like us to send his own son to die for us. So the gospel is about a God who is gracious beyond our imagination. That's what people need to see and hear from us. Salvation. He provides it from first to last. So his righteousness in Christ, his righteousness in Christ is what saves us, not our righteous living. It's his sacrifice in Christ that saves us, not any sacrifice we would try to give him. 
And it's his love in Christ that saves us, not our love to him first. Do you know that, God? That's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the gospel. Oh, please, this is, this is just my plea to you. Don't think that you are the one who's being righteous enough for salvation. Jesus Christ alone is righteous enough. And if you trust him, your sins on him and his righteousness is counted to you so that God looks at your life, ungodly sinner that you are, and he says, righteous, and opens to you all of his grace. God, God's the creator. He's good. There's no one like him. He's designed us. He sustains all things, and we're accountable to him. Man, But mankind has sinned against him and we're cut off from the source of life and we're under his judgment and we deserve it. But Christ, Christ comes. He lives righteously and he is crushed for sins that are not his so that our death, our death, is counted to him and his life, his righteousness, is counted to us. We are justified. And we can have God and life forever. Now that doesn't come automatically. And next week we're going to see that more clearly. It's just not automatic. We receive what he has done by faith. Not by works. Not by performing some great sacrifice so that God counts you as worthy. It's simply by trusting that there's only one who's worthy and that he died and rose on your behalf. That's how we are saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. There is no love greater than yours. It is not a small thing that you would give your only son, your beloved, to die, to be crushed for sins he did not commit, and that the righteousness of God, your son, would be counted to the ungodly. What kind of love is there like that? There's no other love like that in all the religions of the world. No love like that. In our best moments, we've never loved like that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, God. Help us to believe. Help us to be bold in declaring it. Help us to be bold in coming before you because we have access through the righteousness of another. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.